Everybody serves somebody. There is no such thing that I don't serve anybody. No, no, no. Yes, you do. You serve your job. You serve the image that your parents gave you. You serve. Listen, everybody serves somebody. And really, when you take the idea that everyone serves somebody and you walk it all the way back upstream, what you find is that everybody either serves Jesus or they serve Satan. Little things can pack a big punch. You see this all the time. Well, today, Pastor Daniel begins a new series on the smallest books in the Bible, unpacking the mighty truths they hold. Take, for instance, today's study in Jude. The author reminds you that you can't go through life without allegiances. He shares that ultimately, you either serve God or Satan. Like Jude, Pastor Daniel urges you to be aware of this and choose to serve Jesus with your life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Jude as he begins the message, The Struggle is Real. real. I love that we get to start a brand new series today. Isn't that exciting? Some of you are like, I'm not going to clap for the new series because we haven't done anything yet. It might be a little premature. But we're calling this series, Little is the New Big. And I called it that for a number of reasons. First, because that's kind of a popular phrase now, isn't it? Like something is the new something. It's kind of the product of a over-marketed culture where something always has to be new. Something always has to be exciting. I remember when I first got here to Crossroads, I was talking with our founding pastor, Bill Ritchie, and somebody said, 60 is the new 40. How many of you heard that before? Yeah, Pastor Bill didn't like that one. He's like, man, forget that. 60 is the new 60. I'm like, yeah, there we go, you know? But there's this idea that something, there's always got to be new. And of course, there, I guess there's a very popular HBO or one of the premier channel series called Orange is the New Black. I haven't seen it, but I see it. It's always referenced in the news. If you're watching it, don't. No, I don't know. I've never seen it. I can't, I can't comment on it. But you have that phrase. And then this idea that little is the new big, it's funny because... We live in a world, for many of you, everything had to get bigger, right? It's like we needed it. We bought one house. We bought a bigger house. We bought a bigger house. So everything is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, at some point, everything is so big that everyone's like, well, you know, big is fine, but let's get, let everything get smaller. And if you watch reality TV, which I don't know how much reality is really in reality TV, but I guess there's a movement that they call little houses now. So instead of getting big McMansions, now people are looking to buy smaller places and kind of minimalism is in vogue. So this idea that little is the new big, it just kind of felt right to me. But the real reason I want to get at it, of course, is because the Bible has 66 books in it. And in the 66 books of the Bible, there's a couple books in there that are little. There's actually a series of books that are only one chapter long. So they're little books of the Bible. Books like the Epistle of Jude, Philemon, or Philemon, depending on how you dig syllabifying his name. You know, you have 2 John and 3 John. And then, of course, my own personal favorite, Obadiah. 
which if you don't know Obadiah, that's my son's name. So it's a personal name. And I always hear Obadiah now with my little two-year-old Annabelle calling his name out. There's nothing more funny when she wakes up in the morning and she's like, Obadiah, Obadiah. You know, and she's just hoping Obadiah is going to come springer out of her crib. And so we're going to be looking at these little books, but there's huge messages in these little books. You don't want to mistake the fact that although these books are small, that they don't have anything in them. No, no, no. Listen, they are packing a punch. But when you think about the phrase, little is the new big, if you think about it biblically, the idea of being little in your own eyes, the idea of humility, you know that Jesus values humility. He said the greatest in the kingdom is what? The servant of all. So in a lot of ways, in God's kingdom, being little in your own eyes, that's big stuff. God's into the fact that humility is of high value to the Lord. In a world where it's like, no, no, you got to be more pompous, you got to be more proud, you got to be bigger, and you got to be puffed up. And so all these things are going to be fun. So we're going to open up our very first one of these little books that have huge meaning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Epistle of Jude, the Epistle of Jude. Go ahead, open those Bibles. I'm going to get you to the Epistle of Jude. It's really easy to find. You know why? It's the second to last book in your Bible. So you have the book of Revelation. Everybody knows that's the last book in the Bible because it's when Jesus comes back. Holla. But before that, there's the epistle of Jude. It's one chapter. So if you go too fast, it's only 25 verses, the epistle of Jude. And if you're part of our online audience, listen, don't forget, open up another browser window, type in Jude 1, and we'll get there. So to tell you about the book of Jude, we're going to take it over the next few messages. We'll take this whole book. But there's one theme in the book of Jude that is important, and that's the theme that we have to fight sometimes, that there are battles that we're involved in, and we have to make sure that we are fighting for the things that are really the most important. This kind of came into relief for me just this week. I mentioned my, my little two-year-old daughter, Annabelle, and I just came off of vacation. I was on vacation with my family, with a little family getaway. And you know what happens when you go on vacation? You come home, but your house wasn't on vacation when you were gone. You know, so you come home and like the lawn is looking like it was a forest. You know what I mean? And the house is, so I needed to get all that stuff done. So, you know, we're standing in the kitchen after I'm doing that and I'm giving my wife, Lynn, a big hug, you know, and I'm hugging her. And especially because I just came in from mowing the lawn, so I'm all smelly and sweaty, and she just loves that, you know. And so, but it's love, so, you know, and she's married to me, so she knew she was signing up for this thing when we started, you know. So I'm hugging her, and then I start kind of like messing with her. You know what I mean? Like I'm hugging her, and I'm like kind of tickling her and stuff. And if you know my bride, Lynn, she's so calm, and, and I'm so not. So it's like, you know, so I'm like messing with her. She starts jiggling, you know, moving and trying to get away. But I, like, I'm already hugging her. So I got like, she's mine, you know? And so sure enough, she starts wiggling and making noise. And all of a sudden, Annabelle, my little two-year-old, comes over. And she starts trying to get it. And then I'm like, Annabelle, no, no, no. And Lynn's like, stop, stop, stop. And then finally, Annabelle goes, that's my mom. And all of a sudden, I just stopped. I'm like, Annabelle, I'm so sorry. She is your mom. You know, like, I just stopped what I was doing because Annabelle was like, this is my mom, and you ain't messing with my mama, you know? And it's funny, like, she's not old enough that I could sit down and be like, now, listen, Annabelle, she was my wife before she was your mom. And, you know, like, I couldn't reason with her. And at the same time, I knew that if I tried, then I might run the risk of having a total demonic meltdown. You know what I mean? Because when she's two, you know, if she, like, hits the floor and starts screaming and stuff, then it's just like, 
Then you knew you just went way over the line. It's just not worth it. So I just stopped, and Lynn felt relieved. And it made me laugh, though, because Annabelle fought for the most important thing. That's her mom. And ain't no one going to mess with her mom. And it was just so funny because I started laughing. I walked away. I'm like, that's so awesome. Like, Annabelle knew, don't mess with my mom. That's my mama, you know? And I think for us, the epistle of Jude points us to this. And the reason it points us, because there are battles that we need to fight. But I think for many of us, we're so busy fighting battles about things that don't matter that we often neglect the battles that matter the most. And this little book, the Epistle of Jude, gets at that. So let's break it open. We'll show you. Look what it says. Beginning in verse 1, the Epistle of Jude, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, this is beautifully just the introduction to this letter. It begins with the author. The author's name is Jude. Now, I know it's amazing. If you were to look in the Hebrew or the Greek of this, the author's name is actually Judas. Oh. You're like, well, if its name is really Judas, why did they put Jude? Well, duh. <laughs> you know, see, you got to realize, like, the name Judas in the time of Jesus was a very, very, very popular name. You know why? Because Judas Maccabee was the leader of a family that ran and rebelled against an oppressive Syrian government. And they were victorious. They knocked the Syrians out. They cleansed the temple. That's where the Hanukkah celebration comes from, from the work of the Maccabee family, and led by Judas Maccabee. So the name Judas was radically popular, but then all of a sudden, of course, we have Judas Iscariot, who was named after Judas Maccabee, and he's like the ultimate scoundrel, right? He's the guy who betrayed Jesus. Now imagine you have a name that's like a super cool name, everybody has it, and all of a sudden that name goes to pot in one person. That's what happened to Judas. It was a very popular name. I mean, like, you think about how many names, like, the number of kids are probably being named LeBron in Cleveland right now is probably a lot, you know what I mean? But if all of a sudden the name LeBron gets really, really bad, that's a basketball reference, for those of you who don't know. Anyway, anyway, you know what I mean? It's like if all of a sudden that name becomes unpopular because some national person becomes a scoundrel, it's a problem. So it's kind of like I was reading an article about the name Adolf in Germany before World War II. It was a very popular German name. But then all of a sudden, with all that went on with Adolf Hitler and all the atrocities, everyone who was named Adolf, they went and they changed their name legally because you don't want to be known with that same name. And so the name here is Judas, but Judas in a far stretch. It's kind of like Dan or Danny or Daniel, right? So Jude or Judas, or Judy, if it wasn't in America, and he's a guy, you know, it's like, th that would be his name. So what's interesting about it is he calls himself Jude, that's his name, right? And then we learn that he's both a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and he's the brother of James. Now, there's a couple things here. First, that idea of the bondservant. A bondservant is somebody in the Bible who, although they've worked through their debt, they worked for somebody, and when they paid off their debt, the bondservant was the person who didn't need to work but wanted to still. Now, I know you might think to yourself, that's crazy. But there are a lot of people who absolutely love what they do. 
right? And so for the bondservant, it was a, a prestigious position in a household because they didn't have to be there. They wanted to be there. They chose to stay, and they would take them to the doorpost, and they would give them a little earring. That's where guys getting earrings came from. Not really, but kind of, you know? And it's like, and so the bondservant wanted to be a servant. Now I'm here to tell you, guess what? In Christ, that's who you should be. You should know yourself as a bond servant of Jesus, that you have chosen, you have chosen, I want to serve Christ. I want to serve Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, okay, so this is why I just don't do the Jesus thing. This is why I don't do the church thing, because who wants to be a servant of somebody else? And let me quote to you that great American theologian who we most commonly known as Bob Dylan. You guys remember Bobby D? See, Bob Dylan, he wrote all these famous songs, but he became a Christian along the way, and he wrote a couple of albums in the late 70s and the 80s that were Christian albums. One's called Saved, another one called Slow Train Coming. Super cool, super cool albums. But on one of those songs, he made the most profound statement that I think is very, very important that we all need to realize, and that's that everybody serves somebody. There is no such thing that I don't serve anybody. No, 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 yes, you do. You serve your job. You serve the image that your parents gave you. You serve, listen, everybody serves somebody. And really, when you take the idea that everyone serves somebody and you walk it all the way back upstream, what you find is that everybody either serves Jesus or they serve Satan. Boom, I just dropped that. If you're one of those people who say, look, I'm not going to serve anybody. I serve myself. Guess what? You're serving yourself. You're serving Satan because that's exactly why Satan is known as Satan. Because he didn't want to serve the God who created and sustained him. He's like, I'm going to do it my own way. So that may sound really cool and you sound like you're the man or whatever, but really what it is is you're just serving Satan. You're a dummy. I didn't mean to say that, but I said it. But listen, the reason I need to say that, because if you're serving Satan, you are a dummy. I mean, there's nothing more dumb than serving the guy who gets wiped out in the end. And God doesn't come down and take Satan. He sends the angel to do his bidding. And if you're that kind of a person who's saying, well, I don't serve anybody. Yes, you do. Look at your life. Be really honest. You serve a mortgage payment or a rent payment, or you serve in order to get this thing or that thing. Everybody serves. And so it makes the most sense to choose to serve the Son of God, the true and living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, it is the most logical decision to serve that person. Amen? Amen. You can clap in church if you want to, but you don't have to. But now he's to call himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He also calls himself the brother of James. Now, this is super interesting because church history would tell you, although it doesn't say it specifically, we don't know for sure, but there's a very, very, very good chance that Jude was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Because if you look at the list, Mary had Jesus before her and Joseph had ever consummated their marriage right? But then Mary and Joseph end up having normal human relationships after it. And they had a number of kids. You find that in a number of places in the gospels. And in that list, James is in there and Jude is in there as well. And James became a pillar in the early church. The epistle of James was written by him. And so Jude, according to church history, was also the brother of Jesus. But it's interesting that instead of saying, hey, I'm the half brother of Jesus, he said, I'm a bondservant of Jesus and I'm the brother of James which I think is very powerful because he realizes it's more important to be a servant of Jesus than to be his half family member. And I think that's important. Have you grabbed hold 
of the ministry of being a bond servant of Christ. Because you know what it is? I think for a lot of people to say, I don't want to serve Jesus, so I don't want to serve anybody, and we address that. But I think within the church, there's a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm really not his servant. And I think that's a big problem because that's not Christianity at all. See, if your interests in your own heart are higher than God's interests, if you're more concerned about what you want than what God desires, then you're not a bond servant of Christ. Because when you're a servant, the desires of your master ends up making all the details of your life fit in. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of us who have Jesus over the doorpost of the house, but there's, Jesus really isn't inside the house. He's just a little plaque on the wall. And I think that Jude wants to get at that with us, wants to help us fight for the things that are the most important. Because you will find your highest purpose when you are a bondservant of Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to change your career either. It means that you'll do your career with a different set of motivations, a different set of goals. But we need to be bondservants of Jesus just like the writer of this letter. Now, that's just the beginning. You notice what it says here. In the middle of verse 1 and verse 2, it says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, I don't want to like bore you with math on a Sunday, but what I want you to grab out of this is a little math equation that says called and sanctified and preserved equals blessed. That's what we learn here in the middle of verse 1 and verse 2, that called, sanctified, and preserved equals blessed. Now, notice, we're called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Christ Jesus, and then mercy, peace, and love. These are the first set of a series of triads that you're going to find in the epistle of Jude. Jude has this reoccurring theme of threes. We're going to see them over and over and over again. It's one of the, like, the defining characteristics of this letter, that he likes to do things in threes. He uses his examples in threes. And I'm going to be showing you this, but for those of you who love those type of things in the Bible, when you read through Jude, you be like, oh, look, there's another set of three. There's another triad. Wow, interesting. The Holy Spirit inspired him to do it this way. But we have these realities. First, that you're called. And the calling that we have here, it really stresses God's sovereign work in salvation, that God calls. And the calling of God comes to us through the active ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the calling of God to our life. And really, for the people who receive this letter, that calling happened sometime in the past. Why? Because the only reason they would have been hearing the epistle of Jude if they were already part of the church. The only reason they were part of the church was because God called them. So this idea of calling, it's the active work of the Spirit, and it happened sometime in the past. Then you have this idea of being sanctified. Now notice it says, sanctified by God the Father. That word sanctified literally means to be set apart, or some of your translations have the word beloved, right? Or loved by God the Father. That's a beautiful reality. If I put both those words together, you and I have been set apart to be loved by God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that's a watershed. Think about that for a second. That God the Father has set you apart, taken you, and moved you to a special place so that he can love on you. Now, oftentimes and stereotypically, the women in the congregation are like, oh, yeah, love by God. And the guys are like, dude, Fusco, come on. Like, 
loved by God. Listen, think about the number of people we've written off in our lives because they've been lousy friends. Think about the number of people who in the journey of life you chose to say goodbye to because of who they were. And then think about all the mistakes each one of us has made and the fact that God still loves us. That is so powerful that the God who is perfect, who is love at the essence of his nature, does not hold all the mistakes we make against us, but removes them from us, and we are still the object of his love. And the beauty of this, the idea of being loved by God, as you can imagine, this love is in the present. It's happening right now. As I always say, God doesn't love us because we are lovable. God loves us because God is loving at the essence of who he is. So it's beautiful. We've been called by the active work of the Spirit in the past. We've been, right now, we're set apart to be loved by God in the present, the Father. And then, of course, you have this preserved in Jesus Christ. That word preserved is also translated kept, held by Jesus. Now, again, this is by the Son, and this keeping gives us a great assurance because nobody can snatch us out of his hand. That's something about the future. There's this keeping that happens by Jesus. Now, you see what I just did there? You have the past, the present, and the future. You have the Father, Son, and the Spirit. You have being, this is beautiful, being called and being sanctified and being preserved in the future, the totality of our lives. But what does all that equal? You put it all together, what does it equal? Being blessed. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 2. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I love that. We're talking about multiplication here. We're not talking about addition. We're talking about multiplication. That speaks of exponential growth, right? If I say, hey, 10 plus 10, what does it equal? Anybody? 10 plus 10? No. 10 plus 10 equals 20. What's 10 times 10? 100. Yeah. See the difference? This is why we're blessed in Christ. Because of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, his total work in the past, present, and future, keeping us and setting us apart and preserving us, we are exponentially blessed. And that's a powerful reality. These things are multiplied to us. Mercy and peace and love. I've never met a person who doesn't want these three things. Not one time in my life. I've never met someone who's like, yeah, no mercy for me. (laughs) Come on, right? I've never met someone I don't want any love. Yes, you do. You know, it's like peace. And there's someone, yeah, I, I just want to be kind of coming undone, freaking out all the time. No peace for me. It's like, this is what people want. And it's all multiplied to us who are called and sanctified and preserved by the true and living God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the past, present, future. Isn't that some good news, my friends? That's some really good news. Businesses spend a lot of time trying to figure out what people want so they know how to market their products. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shared that the book of Jude holds the answer to the questions of your heart's desires. You learn that at their core, all people want mercy, peace, and love. The good news is that for people who follow God, those gifts aren't just given singularly. They're multiplied out in your life. Jude shares that the work of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit give you these things in abundance. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue working through the book of Jude, proving that even the small books of the Bible have lots to say. You'll be challenged to think about how you view yourself. Is your starting point that you're a sinner who loves God? Or do you see yourself first as precious and beloved by God? You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Little is the New Big. Until then, may God bless.